Welcome to today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for Thursday, February 29th, 2024, the leap year. My name is Martha Avery and I am your reader. Here is our first story from the front page. Home show features latest and greatest. This is the 67th annual Siouxland Home Show. The buzzing of drills and knocking of hammers reverberated through Seaboard Triumph Foods Expo Center Wednesday morning as exhibitors and members of the Home Builders Association of Greater Siouxland worked to set up more than 250 booths. The doors at the Expo Center, 550 Expo Center Drive, will be open from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Saturday, and 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sunday for the 6th Annual Siouxland Home Show. Admission is $7 per person. Children 12 and under get in for free. Pre-sale tickets are available ahead of the event for $4 at the Home Builders Association office, 3900 Stadium Drive. From fireplaces to lawnmowers to kitchens and baths, Terry Shelm said the home show features everything needed for a home. This year, there's a lot of outdoor living opportunities to look at, from hot tubs to pools to beautiful landscaping ideas. The timing couldn't be better. The weather's starting to get nice. People are kind of getting ready for ideas, said Shelm, who serves as executive officer of the Home Builders Association of Greater Siouxland. We just have a great amount of people who can do the work. This show is one of the best. Shelm said planning for the home show is a year-long process. She said it takes a big committee to put on the event, which around 7,000 people are expected to attend. New to the home show is electric automobile manufacturer Tesla. Shelm said Tesla representatives will be bringing an electric car as well as a home charging equipment. They want to be here because they're bringing the charging stuff that the homes need to charge the electrical vehicles, she said. That's definitely future thinking. They want to educate people on how this works. I feel like that's a good fit for things that are new going into your home. On Wednesday, exhibitors drove their trucks right through the Expo Center's open overhead doors and unloaded their trailers inside the building. Shelm said she loves the home show's location. They do a great job of assisting our builders, she said, of the Expo Center staff to move something like a big hot tub. They handle the forklifts like no problem. They just get it done. Each day of the home show, a $567 Builder Bucks certificate will be given away. The certificate can be spent with any home show vendor or home builder association of Greater Siouxland member. Attendees can also win door prizes such as power tools and gift cards, which will be drawn hourly. Shelm said the Home Show Committee likes to keep the event new and fresh. 
She said the North High School drumline will be parading through the aisles Friday and Saturday morning to kick off the home show. Oscar Carl's Vineyard will be offering attendees a glass of wine from 4 to 8 p.m. on Friday. Saturday from 4 to 7, Marto Brewing Company will be serving up samples of a local beer. Sunday morning features free coffee and donuts while supplies last. Throughout the home show, children will be able to build in a special Lego area. When you come in, you'll get a little something, Schlim said. We're excited about that. Another front page story, Packing Plant Cleaners Agree to Injunction, Sioux City. A Tennessee-based cleaning company accused of employing child workers to clean equipment at a Sioux City meatpacking plant has agreed to refrain from hiring children. Fayette Fayette Janitorial Service and the U.S. Department of Labor on Monday filed a joint motion in federal court in which they had agreed to terms of a preliminary junction. In addition to agreeing not to hire underage workers... Fayette is enjoined from refusing to provide information and telling its employees not to talk to the Labor Department investigators. The company also may not retaliate against workers who cooperate with investigators, according to the injunction, signed Tuesday by Chief U.S. District Judge Leonard Strand. The Labor Department last week filed a complaint in which it alleged Fayette employed at least nine children on its overnight sanitation shifts at the Seaboard Triumph pork plant. It said in court filings that Fayette employed minors under age 16 at the plant during overnight shifts to work more than three hours a day and more than 18 hours a week while school was in session. Children under 18 were tasked with cleaning power-driven machines such as meat and bone-cutting saws, head splitters, jaw pullers, and skinners. The Fair Labor and Standards Act bans children under age 18 from working in dangerous occupations, including most jobs in meatpacking and processing plants. The Labor Department had sought an injunction while it continues to investigate Fayette's labor practices. After receiving a complaint in September, investigators with the Labor Department's Wage and Hour Division executed a search warrant at the plant. Investigators determined Fayette employed nine minor children, two 14-year-olds, one 15-year-old, one 16-year-old, and five 17-year-olds. Investigators observed Fayette employees hosing down equipment then washing it by hand with chemicals and soap before rinsing. Cleaners worked under, around, between, and on top of running wet equipment while cleaning. Investigators reported heavy mist and steam causing low visibility and making it hard to see equipment and witnessed workers reaching inside machinery to check for animal parts. Floors were slippery from the combination of water, fat, and meat. Seabird has said it's terminated its contracts with Fayette, a third-party vendor that began providing sanitation services at the plant in September. 
Fayette also is accused of employing 15 child workers at the Purdue Farms plant in Virginia, according to a Department of Labor news release. Fayette provides contract sanitation and cleaning service for meat and poultry processing plants in about 30 states and employs more than 600 workers. And the third and final front page story is titled, Supervisors Discuss Proposed Roundabout. Sioux City. Woodbury County and the City of Sioux City staff are looking into creating access to homes for residents during the construction of a roundabout in the Southern Hills area. The City of Sioux City and Woodbury County are in the process of creating a roundabout at the intersection of Christie Road, Old Lakeport Road, Elk Creek Road, and Southern Hills Drive. Residents in the area have expressed concerns regarding access to their homes during construction. The roundabout is part of a paving project for Elk Creek Road and is intended to improve traffic flow and provide better access for people who live on the dead-end section of Old Lakeport Road. The project has two parts. The first involves paving the remainder of Elk Creek Road from the Elk Creek Development to Morningside Assembly, as well as moving water, sewer, and electrical lines from the intersection. The second part would create the roundabout. It is approximately 50-50 cost share between the county and city. The paving of Elk Creek Road is estimated at $787,323, and the roundabout is estimated at $930,763 for a total cost of $1.7 million. The intersection was paved in 1989. Kyle Gates with Secondary Road said that either way the intersection would need to be paved. The extra pavement cost for a roundabout versus a normal intersection would be about 50000 to 75000 Woodbury County Engineer Mark Nara said as traffic has increased in the northwest section of the Old Lakeport Road, off of Christie Road, residents have had difficulty getting onto that section of the street. There's approximately 60 feet between the entrance of Old Lakeport Road and the four-way intersection. The northwest section has 19 residents. With improving Elk Creek Road down to meet the residents of Elk Creek, something needed to be done to address the, that traffic problem because it isn't going to get any better as houses and everything else are developed in this area, Nara said previously. Residents said the current plan is to give each resident of the street two parking spaces in the Morningside Assembly of God parking lot and have golf carts available for transportation to their homes. Stacy Peterson and Grace Perrin both live in the dead-end section of Old Lakeport Road. Both said they do not currently have issues getting onto their road if people abide by the existing yield sign. While both said they are fine with the prospect of a roundabout, they are concerned about the construction process and access to their homes. 
Todd Peterson, who lives on a section of road, said he spoke with 16 of the 19 residents of the street. He said 12 of the families are against the project if the road is blocked, but are in favor of the project if there is access. Three are against the project entirely, and one is in approval of the construction either way. He said there are three families that run businesses out of their homes, and without access, it could impact their income. Of the elderly residents, one has a walker, one has a cane, and one is in a wheelchair, Peterson said. Supervisor Jeremy Taylor attended a public hearing about the proposed project last week. Taylor said he heard similar concerns from many of the residents from the area regarding access to their property. Nara said other options were researched to give residents access to their property, including a temporary access road, but would have damaged the resident's septic leaching field. The alternative access accommodation proposed at the meeting was to put a wood chip surface walking trail golf cart path across the Agnes easement, Nara said in a letter to the board. This type of traffic would not damage the septic leaching field, but would provide access. Nara said residents across the street from the Agnes property had changed hands, and they now may have the option to create an easement at that property, giving residents access to their home during the project. City staff is pursuing this option over the course of the next week, and the county engineer will report on the feasibility of this option on March 5th, Nara said. It is hoped that if continuous construction access to homes is provided, the residents' objections to the project will be addressed. The project will be further discussed at the March 4th Board of Supervisors meeting. Now some local and state news. Jackson man charged with hate crime and assault. Dakota City. A Jackson... Nebraska man is charged with a hate crime for making racial slurs prior to allegedly assaulting his sister. Keith Claypool, 55, is charged in Dakota County Court with first-degree assault as a hate crime and knowing an intentional abuse of a vulnerable adult. Judge Edward Matney on Tuesday set Claypool's bond at 300000 Claypool was arrested Saturday after his 45-year-old sister reported the alleged assault to the Dakota County Sheriff's Office. According to an arrest affidavit, Claypool had gone out to eat with his sister and another woman. While they were having drinks, Claypool's sister had about an hour-long conversation with a black man. While driving home, Claypool began directing racial slurs toward his sister. Once home, Claypool directed another racial slur towards his sister and that she needed to go back to Hawaii. Claypool's sister told him this wasn't his house, and he then punched her in the face, knocking her to the ground. She got up, pushed Claypool out of the way, and he punched her in the face and knocked her to the floor a second time. As the sister was crawling out of the room, their mother entered and began pulling Claypool off his sister. 
Claypool pushed his 72-year-old mother down on the floor, causing bruising on her arms. Claypool then kept punching his sister in the face. His mother was able to pull him off and take her daughter to the hospital. Deputies located Claypool at a South Sioux City home, and according to the affidavit, he told them his sister had punched him in the face, so he pushed her down and just she just hit her head on the corner of a dresser. Deputies said they found no signs that Claypool had been struck in the face. Sioux City School advances plans for high school gym air conditioning, new trade school ventilation. The Sioux City School Board moved forward with two projects on Monday using some of the remaining COVID-19 recovery funds. The projects are installing air conditioning at the three high school gyms and ventilation improvements at the Harry Hopkins Trades facility. The school district has, has to use its remaining elementary and secondary school emergency relief funds, also known by the acronym ESSER, E-S-S-E-R, by June 30th. The board voted unanimously to approve the plans, specifications, and estimated costs on both projects and to set public hearings. Each Sioux City High School will receive rooftop air conditioning units for its gym to provide both heating and air conditioning as well as humidity control, according to the board documents. Currently, there is no air conditioning in any of the Sioux City High School gyms. The total cost is estimated at $4.39 million. Tim Paul, the district's operations and maintenance director, said part of the project will be covered by the approximately $2.2 million of ESSER funds, while the rest will be covered by the sales tax funds. The welding program at the Harry Hopkins facility will receive 24 new welding bays, each with a downdraft welding table, providing ventilation at each location. There will also be an ambient air unit for dust particles in the auto body shop and a hood exhaust system over the plasma cutter, according to the board documents. The total cost is estimated at 225000 The district plans to purchase the units directly from the vendor and, build and bid for installation costs at a later date. Paul said that there will be minimal installation required and will be completed by June 30th. Both public hearings will take place on March 11th during the regular school board meeting before final board approval. Fees for proposed license plates would fund gun training. Des Moines. Iowans could soon purchase a license plate that features the yellow Don't Tread on Me Gadsden flag with the fees collected going to fund training and education by the National Rifle Association affiliated groups. The flag, which features a coiled rattlesnake and the slogan, Don't Tread on Me, has become a symbol of individual liberty favored by libertarians and conservatives. It has its origins in the American Revolutionary War and was designed by Christopher Gadsden, 
a South Carolina delegate to the Continental Congress. House File 2424, which would make the plates an option for drivers in Iowa, was passed out of Ways and Means Committee by majority Republicans on Wednesday, making it eligible for a vote in the full House. The specialized plates would cost $50 to register and would require a $50 annual fee. The money collected by the plate registration would be directed to the Department of Public Safety, which would distribute grants for education and training on the right to keep and bear arms under the Constitution of the U.S. and Iowa. The bill would direct the department to give first consideration for those grants to any official state association of the National Rifle Association or similar nonprofit organizations. The Iowa Firearms Coalition, an, an influential gun rights lobbying group, is the official Iowa State Association of the NRA. The coalition is the only group registered in favor of the bill. We do a lot with different plates, right? We direct funds to different commodity groups or other organizations, said Representative Phil Thompson, a Republican from Boone and chair of the House Public Safety Committee. It was kind of a brainchild of senators that wanted to do the same thing with Second Amendment advocacy. Iowans have the option to pay for plates associated with the state's three public universities, natural resources, emergency medical services, firefighters, and motorcycle riders, among many others. The fees for those plates also directed to specific state funds to benefit those groups. The bill originally called for a $35 registration fee and a $10 annual fee. But Republicans amended the bill in the Ways and Means Committee meeting on Wednesday to increase those fees to $50 each. Based on estimates from the Legislative Services Agency adjusted for the new cost, the bill would bring in more than $157,000 in fees during the first year. The agency expected around 3,150 plates would be issued. Democrats opposed the bill in committee and offered an amendment to redirect the funding to mental health support and school shooting counseling by the state's area education agencies, which was voted down by Republicans. We've heard for years and years and years the question is on mental health, said Representative Dave Jacoby, a Democrat from Coralville. Well, after years and years and years and years of that question, here's an answer, that we divert those funds toward mental health for our children in the state of Iowa. Jacoby also proposed an amendment to reduce the fees for plates to what was originally proposed in the bill, which was voted down. He said he was not opposed to offering the flag as an option for Iowa drivers, but he did not want to see the money collected going to the NRA-affiliated groups. Thompson said he supports directing the money to gun rights organizations because they are groups that offer education around the Second Amendment and right to bear arms. 
The bill was also amended to allow vehicle owners to place frames around a license plate that obscure the names of the plate's county as long as they do not obscure other numbers and letters of the plate. Twelve other states, including Texas, Florida, and Virginia, offer Gladson flag license plates. Senate lawmakers advanced a similar bill last year, but it did not include the provision to direct the funds to gun rights groups. The bill did not reach a floor vote. Republicans halt move to revive library tax. Des Moines. Libraries, museums warn of losses in 2023 law as 2023 law takes effect. House Republican lawmakers have halted a proposal that would help Iowa's public libraries reverse anticipated financial losses under a property tax reform measure signed into law last year. House lawmakers held a subcommittee, subcommittee hearing Tuesday on House File 2442, the bill would enable cities to reinstate the library tax that was constrained by last year's property tax bill. Doing so under the proposal would require the approval of a majority of voters during a regular city election. If approved, the tax could be collected for 10 years and extended for an additional 10-year period if reauthorized by voters at election. A city council would discontinue the tax by a majority vote of council members. A total of 97 communities across the state have voted to pass the library levy, including Iowa City and Marion. Voters in Cedar Rapids, however, in 2015 rejected it. The loss of these levies have had tremendous unintended consequences, said Sam Helmick, past president of the Iowa Library Association, who served on the Governor's Commission of Libraries as a Republican. It will have material damage. Our libraries are community anchor institutions that provide essential services and resources that support job-seeking and entrepreneurial workforce and economic development, as well as lifelong learning and social welfare. And losing them is like losing a major employer in the community. Helmick said. Iowa lawmakers last year passed and Governor Kim Reynolds signed House File 718, which introduced major overhauls to the state's property tax system aimed to at reducing future property tax bills. This proposal earned strong bipartisan support, passing it passing in the Iowa House 93-1 to 1 and the Iowa Senate 49-0. to 0. Among the laws, many provisions were limitations on cities' collection and use of several tax levies, some of them approved by voters and devoted to specific purposes, such as facilities for veterans, free municipal band concerts, or public library operations. House... Um, file 718 
rolled the dedicated tax levies into cities and counties' overall general tax rate, which are capped and where they must now be budgeted alongside all other services. That will result in a large financial blow to Iowa libraries, museums, municipal bands, and facilities, according to city leaders and library officials across the state. The passage of House File 718 has been devastating since it has taken away the guarantee of funding that so many libraries, especially small and rural ones, depend on. Rosalind Thompson, director of the Knoxville Public Library, wrote to lawmakers in support of the new proposal. Bigger libraries are also going to lose funding that will lead to cuts in services and programs that are essential to our communities. Please reconsider House File 2442. Eliminate the need for a sunset clause to these levies and eliminate the need for a mandatory revote while retaining the voters' authority to make decisions for their communities that they love. Reinstate all previously voted levies where the people have spoken. The Iowa Library Association, Iowa League of Cities, and League of Women Voters of Iowa were all registered in support of the bill. Local communities still are collecting property tax dollars to support public library operations. The money, though, is being deposited into the general operating budgets, which allow cities to shift funds from libraries to other projects that would typically be funded by the increased taxes. The result eliminates the option for communities to create future library levies and has led to the disagreements among library boards, directors, and city councils as to how the money is used amid competing needs. If you are asking me to no longer codify the, those dollars, that were hard won on the cachet and value of the libraries. I can give them to a firefighter as a mayor. That's what I'm going to do, Helmick told lawmakers. This is why we created special library levies, so we don't have to have these difficult fiscal conversations. And in dozens of the 97 libraries, we're told they won't be reappropriated back for library services. Additionally, the levy sunset in two years, which means the money now diverted into the city's general fund, will go away completely. You are listening to the Sioux City Journal on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I am your reader, Martha Avery. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now we will turn to today's obituaries. We have seven obituaries today. Jennifer Albertson, Michaela, Sister Michaela Gales, Vernon Haberman, George Lawton, Dennis McQueen, June Riddle, and Arnold Sardison. Sister Michaela Mary Ann Gales. 
Sister Michaela Marianne Gales, OSF, died Sunday, February 25th, 2024, at the age of 88. The Mass of Christian Burial will be held at 1 p.m. Monday, March 11th, 2024, at the Clare House Chapel, Mount St. Francis Center. Mass are optional. Guests unable to attend may participate via live stream at YouTube Dubuque Franciscan's Burial of Cremains will follow at the Sisters of St. Francis burial site. Mary Ann, daughter of the late Eola Johnson and Roman Gales, was born April 14, 1935, in Kingsley, Iowa. She was baptized and confirmed at St. Michael's Church, Kingsley. On August 25, 1954, she entered the Sisters of St. Francis in Dubuque and was received with the name Sister Michaela on August 12, 1955. Sister Michaela made her final profession of vows on August 12, 1960. Sister received a master's degree in theology from Notre Dame University, Notre Dame, Indiana. She ministered as an educator in Illinois at St. Mary's of the Woods, Chicago, and in Iowa at Helan High School and Briarcliff College, Sioux City. Larchwood, Wallert High School, Dubuque, Pocahontas, St. Martin's Cascade, Anthon, Cherokee, and Boone. Sister Michaela was also missioned on the Franciscan Charism team at Mount St. Francis Center, Dubuque. Vernon Job Haberman. Vernon Jopp Haberman, 78, of Newcastle, passed away on Sunday, February 25, 2024, at a nursing facility in Kearney, Nebraska. A mass of Christian burial will be at 11 a.m. Saturday, March 2nd, at St. Peter's Catholic Church in Newcastle with Father Owen Corte as celebrant. Burial will follow at the Calvary Cemetery adjacent to the church. Visitation with the family present will be from 5 to 8 p.m. Friday, March 1st at the St. Peter's Hall in Newcastle with prayer and rosary service beginning at 7 p.m. Friday evening. Online, online condolences may be offered to the family at www.meyerborschchapels.com. Vernon was born on June 26, 1945, in Menominee, Nebraska, to Anthony and Leona Lange Haberman. He received his education at Yankton High School before joining his father on the family farm. Vernon also worked for the Cedar County Road Department on a county road crew. In November of 1965, he joined the Schulte construction crew as a heavy equipment operator, working there until 1990. Vernon then joined Lathan with Defelson Construction, continuing his skills as a heavy equipment operator and known as the best cat skinner in northeast Nebraska. Cat, C-A-T, 
Skinner's referred to Vernon's ability to skin the ground with his caterpillar earth mover to very precise accuracy. Once retired in November 2021, Vernon helped out Ronald Nelson Construction before finally deciding to give up his keys. Vernon married Sharon Confirst in October 28, 1967 in Dante, South Dakota. To hit this union, four children were born. He was a proud member of the St. Peter's Catholic Church, enjoyed being an usher, and a member of the parish council. Vernon had a love for horses, was an avid reader, especially National Geographic and the Omaha World Herald, cover to cover, and was a true diehard of the show Gunsmoke on television. He loved to play cards, any game would do for Vernon, and he was proud to teach his children and grandchildren the skills of playing various card games. Beyond a love for his family, Vernon cheered on the Nebraska Cornhuskers, attended countless spring games, and most home football games in Lincoln. Arnold, or Arnie Lee Sarderson. Arnie Lee Sarderson, 70, of Sioux City, passed away on Monday, February 26th, at his home in Sioux City, surrounded by his children. Arnold was born to David Osborne Sardison and Mary Elizabeth Leary Sardison of Sioux City. Arnie was an iron worker at Royal Iron in Sioux City for approximately 30 years before purchasing and operating his childhood vacationing spot, Sadi's Place, located on Silver Lake in Lake Park, Iowa. Some of Arnie's favorite things to do are fishing, hunting, yard work, renovating houses, spending time with family, and hanging out with his favorite dog, Rusty. Jennifer Ray Albertson. Jennifer Ray Albertson, 33, of Sioux City, passed away Sunday, February 11, 2024. Jennifer had been has been cremated and a celebration of life will be held at a later date. Arrangements with Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel. George Lawton, Lamars, Iowa. George Lawton, 89, of Lamars, passed away Monday, February 26th, in Remsen, Iowa. Funeral services will be at 10.30 a.m. on Friday, March 1st at Rex Winkle Funeral Home in Lamars, Iowa. Bur- burial with military honors provided by the Wasmer American Legion Post 241 of Lamars will be at Memorial Cemetery in Lamars. Visitation with the family present will be from 4 to 7 p.m. on Thursday, February 28th at Rex Winkle Funeral Home in Lumars. There will be a prayer service at 7 p.m. Visitation will resume from 9.30 a.m. until service time on Friday at the funeral home. June E. Riddle, Onawa, Iowa. June E. Riddle, 87, died Sunday, March 25, 2024. Funeral service will be 10 a.m. Saturday, March 2nd at Faith Lutheran Church, Onawa, Iowa. Burial, Onawa Cemetery. 
Visitation is 5 to 7 p.m. Friday, March 1st. Gosler Funeral Home Chapel, Ottawa. And then Gosler Funeral Home and Monuments, Ottawa, Iowa. Dennis B. McQueen, Soldier, Iowa. Dennis D. McQueen, 76, died Sunday, February 25th, 2024. Funeral services, 10.30 a.m., March 1st, Soldiers Lutheran Church, Soldier, Iowa. Burial Soldier Lutheran Cemetery with Military Honors. Visitation, 5 to 7 p.m., February 29th. Soldier Lutheran Church. The Gosler Funeral Home and Monuments, Ottawa, Iowa. Now for some sports. Boys High School Basketball, Class C2, District Final. Ponca, 37, St. Cecilia, 28. Ponca, or Ponca, earns number two seed at state. Indians to face Norfolk Catholic in Class C2 quarterfinal. Ponca enters next week's Nebraska High School Boys Basketball Tournament as the second seed in Class C2. The Indians, 22-2, will face number seven seed Norfolk Catholic, 17-8, in quarterfinals at 1.30 p.m. on Thursday, March 6th at the Devaney Sports Center in Lincoln. The team teams did not meet in the regular season, but Ponca owns a victory over one of the other 62 qualifiers, Harrington Cedar Catholic. The Indians beat the Trojans 51-36 in Ponca on March 23rd. Ponca and Cedar could meet in the state semifinals. The number three seed, Cedar, with a 19-6, and six, will face number six Lincoln Lutheran with a 17 and 8 at 3.15 p.m. on March 6th in Devaney. Ponca is returning to the state tournament for the first time since the 2019-20 season. Prior to that, the Indians won back-to-back state titles in 2017-2018, the latter of which was achieved by beating Hastings St. Cecilia in the C2 state championship. In a low-scoring affair that saw both sides go on extended runs, Ponca ended up ended number 15 seed Hastings St. Cecilia in a district final Monday night in Albion. The Indians went on to a 12-0 run and in the fourth quarter to prevail 37-28. St. Cecilia with a record of 13-10 opened the game by scoring the first eight points of the contest. Ponca Jr. Tristan Bevelheimer scored a game-high 15 points, and senior Dalton Lamprick had 9 points, 4 assists, and 2 steals. Bevelheimer scored 10 of his points in the second half. Despite St. Cecilia holding Ponca in a season to a season low in points scored, the Indians' defense proved huge in holding the Blue Hawks under 30 points as the team managed one more point than their season low. Dawson Kissinger and Graham uh, Daly 
or Daly, did all the early scoring for St. Cecilia as the duo each hit one three-pointer in the opening minutes as the Blue Hawks took their eight-point lead while Ponca was still yet to score. Ponca outscored St. Cecilia by 17, 37-20, from that point on. However, the Blue Hawks managed to head into the halftime locker room with a slim 17-16 lead. Jensen Anderson led St. Cecilia with seven points. Despite points being at a premium, Funko was efficient on offense as it converted 15 of 32 field goal attempts for the game. St. Cecilia went 11 of 31 shooting for the contest. Tucker McGill and Zane Stark each grabbed five rebounds for Ponca as the Indians narrowly won the rebounding battle. Despite committing two more turnovers for the game. Free throw ice win for Rebels. Sioux Central makes semis after school's first victory at state tourney. Morgan Christian was put in the situation every kid dreams of, and she came through for the Sioux Central High School girls basketball team. Christian stood at the free throw line with a chance to ice the Rebels' Class 2A state tournament quarterfinal game against Eddyville, Blakesburg, Fremont. You sit there in the gym, growing up dreaming of moments like this, Christian said. I just tried to drown out the noise and told myself I could do it. The drama increased when Christian missed the front end of the pair of tries from the charity stripe, but sinking the second put fourth seed Sioux Central up four to make it a two-possession game against fifth-seeded EBF, and the Rebels persevered a 52-48 victory for Sioux Central on Tuesday at the Wells Fargo Arena in Des Moines. I missed the first, she said, but I got the second, and that cushioned us, said Christian. We've put our blood, sweat, and tears into every season we've been at Sioux Central, and every single person on the team gave it their all in practice and game. It's just been awesome. We're going to enjoy this one for a little bit, but then we have to get ready for uh, Dyke New Hartford. That's going to be a tough one. Christian, a senior, ended with 13 points, 5 rebounds, and 6 assists for the Rebels, who have a record of 23-1, who will play top-seeded Dyke Hartfield New Hartford 20, with a record of 24-2 in the semifinals on Friday at 10 a.m. It feels great, said Sioux Central head coach Casey Crager. It was a gritty, hard-fought game. We came out on fire. We had 26 points in the first quarter, but their length really slowed us down, and we tight ended up offensively, but the girls did enough to win the game. I'm really proud of the kids. Sophomore Avery Wilson led Sioux City with 17 points on 6 of 13 shootings to go with 6 rebounds and Senior Brady 
Krager added 12 points, 4 rebounds, and 2 assists. It's just amazing to see our hard work pay off, Brady Krager said. We're just glad we get to play again on Friday. I had the most confidence in my teammates and coaches. I knew we'd pull it out. If one of us isn't coming up with something, someone else will in order to, for us to figure it out. We have so much confidence in each other. Sioux Central shot out of the gate and took a 9-0 lead to start the game, and the Rebels proceeded to take 26-10 lead into the second quarter. But EBF stormed back, though the Rockets ultimately never took the lead, EBF narrowed the Sioux Central lead to single digits within the first minute of the third quarter on an offensive rebound and put back by Kate Schaefer at 32-24. However, the three-point margin before Christian went to the line was the smallest the Rebels' lead got. When things got tight, the message to the Rebels' team huddles was clear. Rebound, 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 Christian said. EBF junior Molly Schaefer ended with a game-high 18 points, and Rockets freshman Alia Wagaman chipped in 12 with 12 rebounds. Wilson take up with a pair of huge second-half three-pointers to keep Sioux City out of range as she ended 5 of 7 from range. It feels amazing to win this one. You just get goosebumps, Wilson said. Our motto is one team, one heartbeat, and I think we really played like that tonight. We expected it to be a close game, and we were really well prepared and had a huge crowd behind us. Getting the first state tournament win for our school has everyone excited. So let's round this out with... The Power of Leap Day. Experts say without it, the whole rest of the year would be a mess. Leap year is a delight for the calendar and math nerds among us. So how did it all begin and why? Here's a look at some of the numbers and history behind the not-quite-every-four-year phenomena that adds a 29th day to February. By the numbers. The math is mind-boggling in the layperson sort of way and down to fractions of days and minutes. There's even a leap second occasionally. Leap year exists in large part to keep the months in sync with annual events, including equinoxes, solstices, and according to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory at the California Institute of Technology. Its correction is to counter the fact that the Earth's orbit isn't precisely 365 days a year. The trip takes about six hours longer than that, NASA says. Contrary to what some might believe, however, not every four years is a leap year. Adding a leap day every four years would make the calendar longer by more than 44 minutes, according to NASA. It was decreed that years divisible by 100 not follow the four-year leap day rule unless they all are also divisible by 400, the JPL notes. In the past 500 years, there ha- was no leap day in 1700, 
1800 and 1900, but 2000, 2000 had one. In the next 500 years, if the practice is allowed, there will be no leap day in 21,000, 22,000, 23,000, and 25,000. The next leap years are 2,028, 2,032, and 2,036. What would happen without a leap day? Eventually, nothing good in terms of when major events fall, when farmers plant and how seasons align with the sun and the moon. Without the leap years, after a few hundred years, we will have summer in November, said Eunice Kahn, a physics instructor at the University of Alabama. Christmas will be in summer. There will be no snow. There will be no feeling of Christmas. Who came up with leap year? The short answer, it evolved. Ancient civilizations used the combo cosmos to plan their lives, and there are calendars dating back to the Bronze Age. They were based on either the phases of the moon or the sun or various calendars as various calendars are today. Usually they were lunisolar, using both. Now hop on over to the Roman Empire and Julius Caesar. He was dealing with major seasonal drift on calendars used in his neck of the woods. They dealt badly with drift as adding months. He was also navigating a vast array of calendars starting in a vast array of ways in the vast Roman Empire. He introduced his Julian calendar in 46 BC. It was purely solar and counted a year at 365.25 days. So once every four years, an extra day was added. Before that, Romans counted a year at 355 days, at least for time. I'm going to jump to, should we pity the leaplings? Being born on a leap day can be kind of a pain from paper from a paperwork perspective. Some governments and others requiring birthdays to be listed stepped in to declare that the date was used by leap leans for such things as driver's license, whether February 28th or March 1st. Technology made it far easier for leap babies to jot down their February 29th milestones, though there can be glitches in terms of health systems, insurance policies, and other businesses and ordinations, uh, sorry, organizations that don't have the date built in. There are about 5 million people worldwide who share the leap birthday out of the 8 billion people on the planet. So let's take a quick look at the weather before we sign off. A five-day forecast today, sunny and becoming windier. The wind is 12 to 25 miles an hour from the south, and the high will be 60 degrees. Tonight will be clear and breezy. Wind south 12 to 25 with a low of 33. Friday, sunny, breezy, and mild. Wind 12 to 25 miles an hour south-southwest with a high of 62 and a low of 36. Saturday is breezy in the afternoon with wind south-southeast 10 to 20 miles per hour with a high of 69 
and a low of 49. Sunday is windy in the afternoon, 69 degrees with a low of 31. And Monday will be mostly sunny and mild with wind coming from the west-northwest at 8 to 16 miles per hour. 55 degrees is the high and 27 is the low. And that brings us to the end of today's reading of the Sioux City Journal. I am your reader, Martha Avery. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind.